The nice thing about glitches in uh, Google Hangouts, when your voice sounds all weird, um, I can't hear you, but it's still recording perfectly on your side, and then when the final, final podcast is out, it's like a new experience every time. Hey everybody, this is Doc Mack from the Galloping Ghost Arcade, and you're listening to Pie Factory. Hi everybody, and welcome to another musical... Hi. And welcome to another musical march in September on Pie Factory Podcast, which I ripped that off from the Cinema Snob. Every September he does musical march in September for some odd reason. His uh, his episode uh, on the movie uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is brilliant. Oh God! So uh, yeah, so if you so the exact opposite of the movie itself. Well, yeah, pretty much. But uh, yeah, so uh, once again, Morris Illinois, blah 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 blah, Jimmy G. And who dat? Uh, Chicago, blah, blah, zuba, 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 Sean. Well, how are you, Sean? Um, a little bit thirsty, so I'm going to have a little drink for a sec. Oh, and uh, you uh, <sighs> okay? You prompted me to uh, try something. Oh, uh, oh do tell. Uh, I actually have a line in Kugel's Watermelon Shandy. That's what I have. Ah, and uh, I was expecting it to be sweeter, but... Um, I still like it. It's it's kind of it's a got a nice uh, a nice mild watermelon flavor to it. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of actual watermelon. I don't like real watermelons. It tastes it just tastes nasty to me. But fake watermelon I do like. So I'm I'm cool with the watermelon shandy. Truth be told, though, truth be told, when I grabbed a beer out of the fridge, I was hoping it was going to be a grapefruit shandy, but it turned out to be a watermelon shandy. Mm-hmm. But I'm too tired to actually put it back and grab the correct shandy. So. Watermelon Shandy from Leinenkugel, a brewing legend since 1867. A brewing legend since before I was born. Yes, and uh, you're saying you don't like watermelon. I absolutely love watermelon, but um, having the uh, the summer picnic season uh, come to a close, I've had to I've had to make the startling decision that I think I actually like cantaloupe more than I like watermelon, and I love watermelon. So tastes the same to me, to be quite honest. Well. You don't have taste, though, so how have you been? I've uh, been kind of busy. Um, I think my post-nasal drip is almost gone, finally, so there's that. Um, now, to have post-nasal drip, don't you have to have pre-nasal drip? That was already done with by the time you, you would ask, so it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You're feeling better. That's good news. Yeah. Might have to have foot surgery, but that's another issue. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of hope I have to. Well, okay, so what happened? Coming, this coming from a guy who had foot surgery a couple years ago. Bone spur. Blah! That's just something that happens over the course of time, I guess. But in my case, I was born with a bad foot. And I think we've yeah. lived the story on here once or twice before, so I'm not going to go through it again. And well, the thing is, like the orthopedic surgeon thinks that it's a result of some kind of impact. And I did have a really nasty bike wipe out back in February. I slipped on some ice. And the entire right half of my body was in, like, nasty pain for a while. Oh. So it might have been from that. Oh, I've got a story about a nasty bike wipeout. Oh, do tell. I know the story, but do yeah. tell. Happened Sunday. I was uh, riding Everybody my bicycle. Everybody who follows you on Facebook knows the story, but do uh, tell. Yeah, but basically, let's just say uh, railroad tracks won out and, uh, you know, basically got my caught tire caught between a rail and the uh, and the road. 
and uh, flipped off my bike, and my uh, front wheel is. Uh, what did your totally bike ever do to you that you had to give it the middle finger? Well, I flipped it off after I, I wiped out. At least I have my other bicycle still. I have not sold that yet. So all I got to do is swap the pedals out and make sure the tires are inflated. I'm still a go for my little bicycle trip my birthday weekend. So. Ah, but you should have a professional install your bicycle pedals. Oh? I found that out the hard way. Because yeah, I ordered a, some shiny red bike pedals maybe a year or two. It was probably about two years ago. And, um, they screw on the opposite way of normal. Yeah. But still they, there were dire warnings. Have a professional install this. Do not do this yourself. I was like, what? All you gotta do is twist it right on. Damn things fell off in the middle of my trip once. I've done it before and they've stayed on. I've never had a problem. Um, I've and actually I took had it a to problem. Two different bike shops, uh-huh. took it, to, took it to two different bike shops. The first one was like, you didn't have a professional put this on. Did you? no. He said, well, take this over to Village Cycle Center. They can help you. They have the equipment for this model bike. I don't. And I was like, all right. Took it to Village Cycle Center. You didn't have a professional put those on, did you? No. I've done it before without problem. Just got to tighten it up properly, that's all. So so what have you been playing? Or have you been playing? Hmm? Hmm? Um, hmm? Let's see. I played... Um, a little bit of each of the games that we're going to be talking about tonight... Mm-hmm. And um, I think really that's oh I, I've actually I I I have been playing a lot of Donkey Kong lately because I wanted to finally participate with uh, Ten Pence and their little thingy where uh, they give you a certain period of time to submit scores for the games they're talking about. So I did that. Mm-hmm. And um, let's see, I recently was at Underground Retrocade and I played a buttload of Centipede. A metric buttload. A metric buttload, actually. Thank you wow. for the correction. Mm-hmm. And a um, little bit of Tron. And not, I didn't really play a heck of a lot of games that night, though, because I was busy hanging out with a couple of other podcasters. Oh, do tell. I just did. I said I was busy hanging out with a couple other podcasters. Details. Need the deets. Did you know Super Podcast Brothers were in, well, not in town, town, but town-ish, like in the area? In a town. Yeah, they were in a few towns, actually. Really? Do tell. Yeah, they were in um, West Dundee. They were in Elgin. They were in Bridgeview. They were in Chicago. Oh, wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And in, in, and you know the irony? is I was actually at Underground Retrocade at that same time, uh, they were supposedly there. No. Yeah. I, huh. I don't know. I, the funniest thing, I, know, I don't know if I ever saw them around the arcade, but I did uh, get to hang out with uh, with a uh, a pretty cool uh, thinner guy and a uh, and a pretty awesome uh, you know little bit bigger guy. So uh, hey, you know I had a good time even if I didn't meet them. Hmm. Or wait a minute, or was that them? <gasps> oh. Did they go by 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 the names uh, Andy and Tim? Some may call him Tim. Hmm. hmm. I think we both met the same people. Must have been them. Because, uh, yeah. And of course, Jason, let's not forget Jason. I think he listens to us because he talked about how um, he listened to our podcast and got some good spy hunter tips. Certainly wasn't from me, though. Yeah, certainly wasn't from either of us. Uh, neither yeah. of us are very good at spy hunter. So, Me less so than you. Yeah, the, the, the thing with spy hunter is, uh, might have been Tim uh, at Underground Retrocade. I had to remind him that... Um, during the uh, during the, the the time where you get unlimited lives for like the first I don't know ninety seconds or whatever it is, 
don't you're constantly scoring only shoot the vehicles that are dark blue avoid everything else if you shoot anything else it stops the timer uh, or it stops your continuous scoring and you need to get through that phase to earn some extra lives if you can get 10,000 through that first phase you get an, a bonus life um, once the timer runs out and he'll oh. uh. and in fact <laughs> um, he's like he came up to me he was like before we leave I've got to watch you play Gyrus. <laughs> <laughs> I think I scored like 115,000 on it. And he's like, I've always wondered how to how a good player plays this game. And I'm thinking, well, I'll let you know when I find one. <laughs> hey, it's better than what I can do. I, can, I think I've only gotten in the 90s on that game myself. I have yet to get my goal of 150,000 on I think my highest is 135. And what kills me, what killed me in this game, I probably could have scored higher. But I was totally blanking on where the enemies come out in the bonus rounds. Or in the, what are they, chance stages? Yeah, I was totally uh, totally spacing out on those. I just couldn't remember, and so I couldn't get like the, the, the big, what is it, 10,000 bonus points on those screens. I still don't know the patterns yet. I, re- I gotta play that game a lot more. It's such a great game. It is a great game. It's, uh, it's like that one game uh, without corners. The, the one game that starts with the G that that is a sequel to Galaxian without corners is what it is, and oh, get plus, yeah, well, yes, yes, exactly, and um, so yeah, that's that is a great game. But as I've said before, I've kind of uh, taking more of a liking to Two Tigers lately, although I haven't played it in the last week or so. But um, if I see that in an arcade, I go straight to that one now because that's that's my game. I just love that game so much. As if you couldn't tell by the episode when we talked about it. So have you been playing anything else? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't mm. think. I played Joking Hazard for the first time, finally. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, that was such an awesome yeah. time at Underground Re- Retrocade. It was us, uh, Tim and Andy, uh, and you, who said, you said Jason? Jason. And uh, so we all got around and playing that. And oh, dear Lord, did we post the picture <laughs> of the one, of the one, uh, of the one round? Uh, <laughs> and that's how I met your father. <laughs> I think we both did. I think we did. We too. didn't post it to the Pie Factory page. But. No, the, uh, the the object of the game it's based on the Cyanide and Happiness uh, comic strip or well web comic, and uh, you pull a random card from from the deck, which is the first panel of a three panel cartoon, and then the judge plays the second panel, and then everybody else plays the third panel. It's kind of like uh, the game Apples to Apples if people are familiar with that one, and uh, and then. The, the judge decides which is the funniest of the fourth panels. And this and this deck, uh, this this game is so un-PC. It is so filthy. It is so <laughs> wrong. I lo- We loved every minute of it. We, all five of, of us, course. had a blast playing that thing. It's just too bad there's no way to play it, you know, online in a group. Um, yeah, right. Because uh, that would just be so awesome. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, I, I'm, I'm not going to really go into details, but... Uh, if you're uh, friends with me or Sean on Facebook, uh, I might uh, repost the uh, the image again. I don't know if it's something we <laughs> want to post on the Pie Factory page, but uh, it'll, it, it, I might post it again on my Facebook, on my personal Facebook page, because it was just so might brilliant. You know. I might, I might later too. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that was like I think one of the only rounds I actually won too. Think so. I won a lot of those, and the funny thing with games like that is. You don't go with what you think is the best or the funniest answer to you. 
you go with what you think is the best or funniest answer to the judge. That's how you win those games, those kind of games. You've got to put yourself in the shoes of True. the person doing the judging to win. More often than not, you'll find that maybe perhaps their sense of humor or their their sense of their intellect or whatever is the same as yours. But it's those times when it's uh, when you got to think a little bit harder. That's when you can win it. So just a little hint from me to you. Indeed. Indeed. Well, you might be wondering what I'm playing, but then again, you have been playing, but then again, you might not. Well, it's and up to a, you. You're the host today. And there's a little story behind that. Um, and it ties oh. in quite nicely with the uh, the Pie Factory podcast, which we're talking about. What the hell am I saying? It, has to, it ties in with our underground retrocade visit with the fine folks from uh, Super Podcast Brothers, along with Andy and Tim. <laughs> Jason would have been the fine folks. Um I just want to say, first of all, as we're recording this, it is uh, September 5th. In six days, uh, I will be turning 49 years old. Uh, so it's an, a very, very bizarre coincident, coincidence that my birthday is September 11th. Figure that. I don't know. But um, first of all, I'm going to read off the names. There was a whole bunch of people around the world that were very, very generous to me. Um, Bobby Idod Moore, um, Sean Holly, and Victor Marland of uh, Ten Pence Arcade, uh, Gary James Harris, uh, Phil Anderson. You might know him as the uh, the guy with the uh, seventy eight hundred game by game podcast, and he also has the No Square Gamer page on on uh, YouTube. Robert Ferguson, who's the Pod Father, who if there's a gaming podcast, <laughs> chances are he's been on it at one point. Uh, he's the host of the twenty six Atari twenty six hundred game by game podcast. Uh, S1500. And please stand by. Oh, and please stand by. Um, S1500, Cinecaster, and RJ from the uh, from the forums over at Atari Age. Uh, Andy Ryerson and Tim Evans of Super Podcast Brothers. Um, William Pepper of the Atari Bytes and It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown Podcasts. Uh, John Singletary and Groundskeeper Willie. William Culver uh, from Wow. He's probably on more podcasts than uh, than Ferg. Uh, he's got the YouTube channel Arcade USA, uh, ColecoVisions. He did the Atari 5200 game by game podcast. He's got another 5200 one now. I can't remember the name of it off the oh, really? top of my head. I thought someone else did that. Uh, I think it's the 5200 Community or something like that. Uh, oh. It's it, it's it's like a, a compliment to the other one. It's not, I guess, to replace the other 5200 um, podcast. Um, he's also on Atari Visions with uh, with Ferg. And um, I've been on that show uh, once or, tw- well, once uh, the, on the Zaxxon episode. And I was actually on the ColecoVisions with, uh, with him uh, when they talked about, I don't remember what the topic was, but uh, I went into uh, the Coleco Adam a little bit on that, which, uh, oh man, first of all, all of these people, you know, we joke around, we, fu- we have fun, we kid, whatever. They're all really, really nice guys. And... Um, all of these people from around the world, uh, Bobby, Sean, Victor. Did you get everybody on there? I think so. Bobby, Idad Moore, Sean Holly, Victor Marlin, Gary James Harris, Phil Anderson, Robert Ferguson, S1500, Cinecaster RJ, Andy and Tim, uh, Groundskeeper Willie, um, William Pepper, and John Singletary. Th- oh, There's oh, somebody else yeah. in there I think you're missing. I forget yeah. who. Um, um, uh, uh, scene. Like some guy named Scene Courtney. Scene Courtney. Oh, is that who that yeah, was? Scene okay. Courtney. Um 
Davis. Okay. Excellent. Sean Corrigan. All right, now my, my count matches up okay. now, so I think you got everybody. And um, you guys have all been really generous to me this year. Um, lately, things have like not been really going great for me, and I got some um, potentially bad news at work today, but that's not something I'm going to go into. Um and I don't have to worry about it for 10 months anyway. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's like I've had trouble with my cards, required me to do a lot of bull crap with that. and, and that, Soul but, searching uh, and stuff. Yeah. And um, you guys have been very, very extremely generous to me this year. Sean has always been very generous to me when it comes around birthday time or Christmas or whatever. And, um, and I just feel bad that I can't repay the generosity. Um, that's always kind of bugged me a little, <laughs> a lot actually. But uh, for this this year for my birthday, I got uh, I don't have the box right here with me, but um, got me some stickers. Um, uh, I have uh, I have the what was it uh, Inky sticker? No, no, I'm sorry, I can't remember who is the the, the red Pac Man ghost. That's um, that's uh, Blinky. Blinky, wait, or is it Clyde? No, Clyde's the orange one. Uh, well, it's it's the Red Ghost. I can't remember the name. And uh, Arcade USA sticker, which I uh, immediately affixed both of those to my laptop. Um, I had to take off my Legend of Zelda sticker, my Triforce sticker, but oh well. So I've got those on my laptop, and you know, that's something else. The fan on my laptop's going out, and i got to get a new one for that. I don't know why I bought HP again. But anyway, um, and uh, I got a few others. I got a Pac-Man one. Once I get my car back, I'm pulling my... Uh, <clears throat> libertarian uh, bumper sticker off the back and replacing it with the Pac-Man one. Really? Uh, yeah, I've had that other one on there for oh, quite well. some time. And quite frankly, hmm. I want people to see the Pac-Man one these days. But anyway. There you go. Uh, and then I got a, a, an issue of a magazine, which I don't, like I said, I don't have the box right here, so I don't recall. Disclaimer, I'm not libertarian. I'm not anything. I'm just me. You're just you. Um, I don't recall which which ver- which magazine this was off the top of my head. Uh, and then I got a very nice vintage Pac-Man glass mug. And uh, I was very appreciative of it when I first saw it. But then when I realized that there was still a little bit uh, like stain from drinks that have been in it over the years. And uh, <laughs> and the, the date. Where That's it's beautiful. The, the manufacture date of it. I'm like, holy cow, this thing is the real deal. And, like, I was appreciative of it to begin with, but then I was like, holy cow, this thing is amazing. It's been loved. It's been loved, exactly. Then I also got uh, a copy of DK, uh, Donkey Kong PK for the Atari 7800, and I've got to play that a few times. And everybody chipped in and got me a um, Mateo's cart, which I'm still trying to figure out how to... How to use that? Uh, complete with Pokey Chip, I might add. And um, uh, I'm right on Atari age. Yeah, it's I know. Be a lifesaver. I, I, I know. I need. I need to read through that again. And um, I was, I'm actually seriously thinking of getting myself a second one, really, just so I don't have to keep rewriting every time. Because there are a lot of works in progress that I'd love That's to true. try out. That's true. And I don't want to have to keep rewriting every time someone comes out with a new one. I'd like to just pop one in that has has a selection, another one that has a selection. But anyway, yeah, um, I really like to thank everybody. And uh, the thing that really gets me is that this is both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, people here in the U.S., people in uh, people on the North American continent, let's just say that, and then people in Europe uh, coming together and, um, you know, being nice to me. I'm Honestly, I'm not used to people being this nice to me. 
um, and it's serious. Honestly, I mean, I was I was really touched. I almost broke down and cried uh, when uh, at the underground retrocade over this. And um, I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And uh, really, you made this soon to be forty nine year old very very happy. So, of course, by the time you hear this, I'll be forty nine, most likely. Uh, my birthday is in twenty eight days. Everybody, just saying, just saying, just saying. This is in October. So, there you go. So, I've been play, playing some games on the 7800. Uh, finally got to play Commando on the real hardware because of the Mateos cart. And due to my stupidity, I accidentally wiped it off the Mateos cart, so i got to put it back on. But um, that is a really fun game. I really, really, really... I still haven't played the 7800 Commando. I still haven't. It is really, really fun. It's really good. And um, I do give i've played the nes version and i've played the 7800 version and i like the 7800 version better it's not and nowhere near as glitchy as the nintendo entertainment system version and uh with the uh with the with the pokey oh and by the way yeah i've been having some trouble with my 7800 so right now i'm borrowing sean's and for some reason only pokey sound comes through this one so i don't know what's up with that yeah what it is that thing has an extra little piece on it that a lot of other uh, AV modded 7800s don't have. There's a uh, resistor on there to reduce the uh, Tia sound so that it doesn't overpower the Pokey sound in games that have both. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a loose solder connection there. Okay. It's, since it's yours, I don't want to touch that and screw that up like I well, it's my think I did to mine. For, to be safe. But, you know. so, uh, so, my main one is still safely here with me. So, I got to play that on the real hardware. Um, I had played Super Circus Atari on the real hardware back at the Midwest Gaming Classic. Uh, what else was on there? Uh, Bentley Bears Crystal Quest again, which I did play on the original hardware back at Midwest Gaming Classic. And, um, there was something else on there. I can't remember what let's it was. See, let's see, there's Froggy. Um, wait, Possible Mission was on there. I saw the Possible Mission, I didn't see Froggy on there. Maybe I didn't turn the dial. Yeah, position correct. zero. Zero? But yeah, possible mission. Not impossible mission, but right. possible mission. I'm going to have to give that a little bit more of a play because I uh, I loved the game Zillion on the Sega Master System and impossible mission slash possible mission on the home computers and 7800 and what have you is a very, very similar game. So I'm sure I'll enjoy that one once I get into it a little more. Yeah. And for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, impossible mission on the 7800 for all practical purposes is literally impossible due to a bug that was introduced after the game was designed, but before it was pressed to cartridges and, um, somebody hacked it so that it is possible. So so uh, they called it Possible Mission. Wasn't that the actual programmer of the game? Because I remember he was on Atari Age talking about that. I don't remember if he was the one who did that. But uh, yeah, so uh, according the, to the, the I, I, I version, kept the list. Oh, go ahead. Continue. So um, according to the list, uh, what was on that cart was uh, the stuff that I loaded up based on my own conclusions and stuff. Froggy in position zero. Uh, the, the switch is set to 144K, so you can only... You can't use all 16 positions and unless uh, you have some smaller ROMs on there because there are a couple of big ones on there. But uh, let's see, there's Possible Mission, Crystal Quest, Pac-Man Collection, Pokey version, um, Space Duel, Commando, of course, Super Circus Atari Age, and Roof Pooper. They were all on this? Yep. On the Mateos that you burned me? Yep, yep. I don't remember seeing them all on there. Am I Was I supposed to flip that little switch to get to some of them or not? 
Yep. You have, yeah, you have to, yeah, every one of them has its own separate little thing. Gotcha. Maybe that's what happened then. Because I didn't You have to turn the little twisty switch. thing. No, 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 no. The, the knob, because there's a switch on the side, which I oh, remember. No, no, not the, not the side switch. You want to, you, you put it in one position if you have any ROMs that are bigger than, I think, 128K. And then the other position if they're all smaller than 128K. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, I got to, I got to putz around with it a little more, but, um, yeah, putz around. And, uh, and do not put the burner on the end that says no burner, or else you'll burn the thing out. Yeah, I um, been following the, the label. The labels are very, very clear on that. You're <laughs> so welcome. So I've not, I have not made that. Oh, you put the labels. Yeah, on I put. It. I, yeah, I did the same thing to mine. Gotcha. Just to make sure it's like okay, put the, put this this way. Don't put this here. Arrange this so it's this way, etc. So yeah, I've been, so I've been having some fun with that. I gotta I gotta explore that a little bit more because it seemed like on some of them it was like just coming up with like a, it wasn't even coming up with the Atari logo, just like some garbage on screen. So I I don't know. Oh, you know why? It might be if you turn the 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 the, the little dial thingy too far because what happens is if you if it's set to 144k, mm-hmm. then. Basically, the ROM is split into two different compartments, like section zero, like selection zero, and then selection eight. The next one is one and nine. The next one is two and ten, et cetera. So you might have it in the second half. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. I'll have to, I, I'll have to double check and give it another round. Labor Day weekend and all that. It's been pretty busy lately, so yeah, I have to give that another another go. But um, other than that, and some of the games for tonight. I've been playing some Galaxian um, in MAME, trying to figure out a game to pair that up with uh, for a future episode. Because we get, we need to talk about that one, but I've I'm coming yeah, up. Yeah, we've I've had some ideas, but we've already covered the other games. I've had my ideas with my ideas for. Yeah, so. I did some just some kind of jotting down every game that I could think of that we hadn't talked about yet. And there's there's a lot that we've kind of. Let's see, we've done what I think we're in. This is after tonight. It's what 108 games we talked about, and Something there's like still that, yeah. a lot we haven't even touched. Yeah, it's like a uh, lot of core classics. Yeah, uh, I, we've I think we've nailed a lot of them, but yeah, I mean, especially like sequels and lesser classics. I guess you will. I mean, and, we've uh, talked about Professor Damn Pac Man, but we haven't talked about Galaxian. Well, I'll be fair. I wanted to talk about not Professor that I like Galaxian because pa- I don't, but still. I wanted to talk about Professor Pac-Man just so we get out of the way and never have to talk about it ever again. Which, you can't blame me for that. You you can't blame me for that decision. I think that was, in the long run, a great decision. Yeah, yeah, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Indeed. So I think we should probably uh, give some updates on the Atari box. It's time for another edition of Everything We Know About the Atari Box. Sean, what do we know about the Atari box? Um, I got nothing. How about you? Uh, they actually did send out an email saying more updates soon. So basically, they sent oh. out the email uh, that they sent out a couple months ago. So yeah. Oh, and uh, we did get a tweet from uh, from uh, Victor Marlin Vertvik. He gave us some further helpful information about the Atari box. Oh. Um, yeah, he says, and I quote: "What's inside? Actually, he's what's inside the upcoming Atari box? Hype and disappointment. That's what. Was that a good yeah. Victor?" Yeah. I so there so. we go. So th- thank you, uh, Victor. Thank you so much for that uh, contribution. Very informative. Very. Have a cookie on us. Biscuit. Why do they call them digestive biscuits? I've never understood that. Because they're not. Uh, they're not indigestive. To me, it would be like tums or roll aids or some 
I don't know, anti-gas thing, pill thing. That would be digestive to me. I don't know. But at any rate, now we shall close the door on everything we know about the Atari box. And there we go. So that was good. That was a good segment. Yeah, it was. Um, I think we should get a, a, a another golden potty for that one. I think it was brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely brilliant. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so, so I think we should open the door to a denda and errata. Okay. Wow, how's that and for a cold blah, blah, blah. segue? So, uh, what yeah, do we have for A yeah. and E? Oh, another contribution from uh, Vert Vic. Um, something I totally, totally forgot to mention. I, I knew about this. I forgot to write it down. But uh, going back to um, episode 61, Cubert and Krull, uh, we were told um, that there was a mellow yellow version of Cubert. And that's mm-hmm. absolutely true. Yep. Uh, basically, just a Cubert with product placement in the uh, attract mode, I think. I think that's all it was. Not like that's ever been done mellow- before. Those of you unfamiliar with uh, Coca-Cola own, current Coca-Cola owned products, I don't know if this is always Coca-Cola product, but Mellow Yellow is basically Coca-Cola's version of Mountain Dew. Oh, I should have brought this up in the intro oh. segment. Um, you know the Not My Dad's uh, series of adult beverages. Oh, oh yes, I love their cream soda. Have you had their Mountain Ale? No, it's oh, I guess do it's tell. a new product. It's mountain. It's alcoholic Mountain Dew. Oh, and it tastes so be- oh, and it tastes better. Work? And it tastes better than Mountain Dew. How does that work? Because Mountain Dew is like liquid crack. I mean, you drink a couple of those and you're wired forever. But alcohol is a depressant. It's basically a liquid speedball. Then yeah, pretty much. Oh it's man, really, I gotta, I gotta it's really, really, it's it's delicious. I could easily oh. drink a whole six pack of that in one sitting. It is so good. They're not your father's stuff that I've tried so far. It's so freaking mellow that you could probably easily do that mm-hmm. with and, any oh of Oh, yeah. Them. The alcohol is not, I mean, you taste it, but it's not overpowering. It's especially true of the cream soda. I have to, I have to uh, find one of those places that will let you mix and, max, mix and match a six-pack just so I can get yeah, some of all of the flavors. Because yeah. they also have, um, I think, not your mother's drinks now. I saw them at, saw them at yeah, a Yeah, I store. think you're right. Yeah. Uh, I saw them at a store the other day, and uh, I can't remember what they were, but they were more like wine cooler drinks, it almost seemed like to me. I could be wrong on that. Probably. I would think probably, but uh, so there you go. That's the beverage segment. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt on that. So, um, I have an addenda, actually. Uh, you remember our last episode when we talked about Crow? No, I don't. And how if you do a certain key combination, it will... Um, Show up the face of J.R. Bob Dobbs on screen. Oh, yeah. I, I did that. I did that in MAME. Yes. Um, I was kind of curious about who put that in there. Oh, so we went yes, to, yes. Uh, I know where this is going. I can't wait yeah. to hear this. Yes. King George III. Uh, wait, is that his name? Was that his name? Yes. Yes. King, yeah. Okay. Yeah. King George III. That is correct. Uh, he responded and said, uh, Subgenius Ministers Matt Householder or Chris Krubel did that. So, uh King George the Third was not. We got to try that with other. I wonder what other Gottlieb games have that, or Milestar, Ratslime, whatever. That very well could be the only one. But I remember way back in the uh, way back in the days of sixteen uh, bit computing on my Atari ST that there were four characters in the character set on the Atari ST oh, that if yeah. you typed them in the correct correct order, it had it was the face of J.R. Bob Dobbs. 
Yeah, I remember you showing me that way back in the um, Gary. And, um, oh, there was an issue I had of Computes Gazette that uh, was lent to me by somebody who got killed in the Plainfield tornado shortly after, actually. Oh, really? And I still have I still have that thing, too. There was an advertisement for some kind of uh, Commodore 64 print software. I think it was in the back of it. And one of the little samples it had was of J.R. Bob Dobbs. Awesome. So that's all the addenda I have. Um, I don't have any errata. Do you have any more addenda or errata? Um, I, I, don't, uh, I don't know if this is considered an addendum or an erratum. No, it's, or, or an, it wouldn't be an addendum at all. If anything, it would be an erratum. But I think it's more of a clarification. RJ from Atari Age uh, is questioning whether the glaive the glaive is considered a sword. I've never seen that. It, it's it's a it's 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 close to a what are they called a shuriken or a Chinese throwing star as is the colloquial colloqu- slang term colloquial. for it. <laughs> I think he was actually quoting you. He cited a particular moment on the uh, yeah. Oh, unless you were, it might have been when you were reading the, the manual uh, had it listed as a, as a five bladed sword. Yes. And uh, S1500 adds that the common theme in those two games, Krull and Cubert, by the way, he said uh, another common theme, pinballs were made after him. Yeah, yeah, true. Not very popular pinballs, too, uh, by the way. No, especially the Cubert one. The Cubert one, oh, man. Was, did I talk about how boring the Cubert one was? Did, although it could have had a lot of promise. Yeah, yeah, yeah I believe you did. So. Oh, and I do have a erratum. Uh? This is episode... This is going back to episode one. Whoa. Wait, I think it, I think it was episode one when you yourself were talking about how Donkey Kong is not really evil, just mischievous. Well, that's and kind of what I, I had was a reading in the uh, in in some of the uh, the official Nintendo stuff. Oh, okay. Well, fine, but I want to dispute that claim. Sure. Whoever made it, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why in a Socratic way, as a, as opposed to a sarcastic way. What happens when Mario Jumpman gets hit by a barrel? He spins around and has a halo over his head. He has a halo. What does a halo indicate? He's dead. He's dead. Ah. So if your pet is mischievous, he ain't going to kill you. He ain't going to try to kill you. I mean, I have a mischievous pet, but the worst thing she's ever done was just torn up some tissue paper she found on the floor. I was going to insert a reference to the movie Night of the Lepus here, but uh, I can't make it work. <laughs> and... Sean wins again. So, is that everything? I do think it is. Um... Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do this? I kind of like both games we're talking about tonight. Uh, one a little bit more than the other, but uh, I do like them. So, let's start with one of the games that I like, and let's start with Moon Patrol. Ah, Moon Patrol? Ah, Moon Patrol. What threw me off about Moon Patrol is... For the longest time, as long as I known Moon Patrol, I associated it with Williams. As did I which think makes everybody. Sense because yeah, yeah, because it Williams distributed Moon Patrol in the United States starting in or around September 1982, because that's the date that's in the uh, operator's manual of the arcade game. But it's actually a licensed game from Japan, which in June 1982 released Moon Patrol. The, the company was called Irem, I think it's pronounced. I, I thought it was Irem. And it might be Irem. You know what? The way that it's actually spelled in their logo, it kind of implies that it's Irem. Because mm-hmm. the I is a different color than the rem. 
Yeah, yeah. And uh, did didn't we talk about them at one point before? I think Not so. Not terribly long ago. I mean, I um, looked at the list of games they did, and I can't imagine we would have mentioned any of those. Uh, they're, they're more known for their console games, I think. I gotta find out now, because I know there's some Ar- IRM arcade games that I've played. Uh, wasn't uh, Make Tracks one of their games? Was it? Might have, but the thing is, it was never on a list. It wasn't wasn't on any list of IRAM games that I ever saw. Uh, let me see. R Type, Kung Fu Master. But you might do R Type, R Type, R Type, Moon Patrol, Steamboat Chronicles. Here we go. List of IRAM games. Yeah, Crush Crush Roller Make Tracks was a was a Corral Somno. Oh, okay. It wasn't IRAM. Unless maybe it became IRAM itself. Traverse USA Zippy Race Motor Race USA, which is also licensed to Williams. Kung Fu Master. I guess where we had mentioned them in a previous episode. They did the arcade versions of Load Runner and Load Runner Two, which we haven't talked about yet. Kung Fu Spelunker. And what have I learned today that there was a Load Runner Two? There you go. Uh, R-Type, Vigilante, R-Type 2, Kickle Cubicle. Wait, was that on the any? No, I guess that must have been an arcade game, because I remember people talking about that on the... That's got a... Wait a minute. Holy Diver. Uh, Blade Master. Oh, by the way... Um, Blade Bastard? By, by the way, there is a uh, an episode of James and Mike Mondays uh, where they talk about the game um, Holy Diver for the NES which apparently is an IREM game. And um, there's a lot of uh, in heavy... It's First of all, it's a, it's, a, it, it's extremely difficult. And there's a lot of in-jokes uh, with uh, heavy metal musicians and heavy metal music in the game. Uh, Link in the show uh, notes. <laughs> uh, your main character is named Ronnie. And, uh, you know, Holy Diver, Ronnie James Dio. So I did quite a few arcade games, but not a, as many... Um, in the U.S., as I thought. Oh, Ninja Baseball Batman. That's an interesting beat-em-up. They, again, did on um, the episode of... Uh, I don't know if it was an actual episode of Cinemasker or James and Mike Mondays or whatever, but uh, they, when they actually went to Galloping Ghost, uh, there was a lot of time of, with them spent playing the Ninja Baseball Batman uh, machine hmm. at Galloping Ghost. So that was actually worth a, uh, worth a view. So... Anyway, so what have I learned today that uh, Galloping Ghost has Ninja Baseball Batman? I've played it. It's weird. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is that it's an IREM game and it's not Williams designed. That kind of explains something because I kind of always noticed that it was much easier than uh, the other Williams games like Joust Defender and especially Sinistar. Well, if also, uh, if you notice, it doesn't have the same graphical style as any Williams game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look at the fonts. The it's fonts a lot more on, colorful. The fonts uh, the, used in the text and the scoring and whatever in Bubbles, in yeah. Joust. Well, maybe not Joust. Joust is a, is a different uh, beast of all its own, even though it was in-house. But Joust. Defender, Robotron. Hold on. This week in Robotron. Okay. Uh, Stargate, Defender, Bubbles, uh, Turkey Shoot, even. Um, all have the same kind of, like, text font. This game doesn't even have that. It, this is a more of a generic uh, font that this game uses. And um, more Atari 8-bit-ish font, actually, if you ask me. But you know what? You know, you just saw the name Williams on it, and you kind of figured it was going to be a good game, because most Williams games, yeah. despite being insanely difficult, generally are pretty good games. They have their misfires, but uh, they're not as many as other companies. 
Yeah, and and it and its success kind of reflects that too because there are there are a lot of these things made. They were on a lot of home consoles and computers. If you do a search for Moon Patrol on Orcade.com, there are 55 locations as of this recording. And uh, it has it has a lot of merit to it. For example, it is one of the first, if not the first, arcade video game that has parallax scrolling. I certainly can't think of one before that. Uh, every other like yeah, scrolling side scrolling game in the arcade before then, I can't I can I cannot think of one that has the parallax scrolling. For those who who uh, don't know what parallax scrolling is, it's when you have different layers uh, scrolling at different speeds. Like uh, like your foreground, middle ground, and then in the distance, like mountains or some stuff, and um, to give the uh, give a pseudo three D effect, like uh, you know just really just cool. you know as you're driving down the highway and causing accidents because you're looking out the the driver's side window and how you see different you know the stuff closer to you moving faster and the stuff in the back moving slower. That's kind of what it aimed to do, and. Um, yeah, just watch the first 15 minutes of Manos, The Hands of Fate, and you'll oh, understand. Oh, yes, exactly. Yeah, perfect example. Yes. Thank you. And um, so that's what parallax scrolling is. And, um, and, and just to kind of give you another idea as to its success, Moon Patrol won a Certificate of Merit in 1984 at the 5th Annual Archie Awards, hey. and the Certificate of Merit was for Best Science Fiction Slash Fantasy Video Game. Not video game, but video game. Like what? All one word? All one word. Video game. And given the popularity of Moon Patrol, I'm not going to spend a heck of a lot of time saying, here's how you play the game. I'll just spend a little bit of time saying, here's how you play a game. There's no real goal, really, in Moon Patrol. Just drive a moon buggy, and uh, you're on the moon, and you jump over craters. You jump over landmines, meaning actual landmines that go boom jump over boulders and uh, there's some ground enemies you can jump over. There are some enemies you can shoot both in the air and on the ground, shoot some boulders and uh, basically shoot things and avoid things. And that's pretty much what moon patrol is all about. And um, as you, it's basically um, a left to right side scrolling game. And uh, you got some, you got two courses going on. You start the game playing the beginner course and then after you finish the beginner course, you are on the champion course, which repeats over and over until you lose all your lives. Or, and this is something else that was innovative for Moon Patrol. I believe this is the first, at least major game that had this, uh, much to my dismay. The continue feature. Continue was around long before there. I thought Moon Patrol like pioneered that. I thought we had this discussion on the Dig Dug episode. Dig Dug is from 83, isn't it? I thought it was 82. My, I don't even listen to my own podcast. It was, it was certainly no, they, one of okay. the earlier, early, certainly one of the earlier games in that. Oh, you know what? Actually, if, if Dig Dug does indeed have continues and yeah, then, uh, that really, that did, that did beat Moon Patrol by a little the bit because with, Dig Dug came out in April in Japan and May in the United States. The thing with Dig Moon Dug Patrol is didn't the come continue. out in Japan until June. The continue thing in Dig Dug was uh, you could turn it on or off uh, with the dip switch, so ah, it wasn't okay. in every wasn't in every cabinet. How was it by default? That's what I'm curious about. I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't know. Ah, oh well. But anywho, um, so uh, one other thing about uh, the champion course, um, something I've noticed um, is it actually uh, it says like champion course A, champion course B, or so on and so forth, um, depending on which. Uh, 
which champion course you're on. So, oh, really? That's at least what that's something that's what you're on. What you're on is what determines it. It's a fascinating concept. But uh, what happens is as you're driving on the course, there are some checkpoints labeled alphabetically with Roman letters, of course, A through Z. And roughly every fifth letter, there's a stop point where basically you're, for all practical purposes, your level ends and um, you're basically given a bonus based on whether or not you are on par with the average time it takes to complete round and uh, you got yourself an ambidextrous control panel with a two-way joystick and a fire and a jump button on either side the fire button makes your buggy shoot via both a forward-facing cannon kaboom and a top-facing anti-air gun as it's called and if you hit the fire button both of those things will fire at the same time when you hit the fire button too you can have uh, four bullets up in the air but you can only have one uh one forward-facing uh, bullet at any time. And I think it's like every third or fourth time you hit the fire button, the forward one comes out. It's on a little Wait, bit of say a th- weird say that timer. again. I just got confused. Okay. Every time you hit the fire button, it'll always keep you mm-hmm. know, shooting up, upwards, upwards. I think you can have a maximum of four bullets yeah. on the screen at a, out, at a time. Not necessarily because... Top. Not be- necessarily because of... Um, any sort of limitations it's just that's how you know fast they go however when you hit the fire button you only have one forward facing bullet on the screen at a time and it's on a timer you can't just keep hitting the button and have it shoot forward 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 you hit the button hit the hit the button it'll shoot up and forward then hit it again up then up then up and forward it's like every third or fourth time you hit the fire button about i think it's actually more on a like once every second uh, instead of rather number of bullets, uh, can you fire the uh, the forward-facing gun? But uh, the four-shot air cannon is for the enemies that fly above your car, such as the cr- regular craft that moves back and forth, and it drops bombs, and you may destroy those bombs if you are that good a shot. There are elliptical versions of those crafts, and those aircrafts will drop bombs at you, but they're more accurate than the other ones, and they get increasingly accurate over time and there's what's called the tri-orb craft so-called because they attempt to be an orb but they're not they're actually three circles shaped in a pyramid put together and uh, they will actually drop grenades if the grenades hit the ground then the great the grenade will explode and it will form a crater you can destroy the grenades but they're harder to hit than the bombs are And uh, so that's what's going up above your head and in front of you on the ground. You got some tanks, which will start at uh, checkpoint U in the beginner course. And what they do is they will fire at you one bullet at a time. And you can either shoot those tanks away or jump over them. It's probably a lot easier to shoot them. Um, There are rocket cars and those first appear at checkpoint A in the champion course. And, uh, They show up behind your moon buggy and they will tail you for a while. And at some point they will try to hit you from behind. And of course, when you, when that happens, you're going to want to jump, let it pass you. And then when you land, destroy the, may I uh, suggest a a strategy for the, uh, the rocket car. I don't know how it is in, in uh, higher levels, but the first time you see the rocket car speed up all the way and watch it, it kind of moves forward and lags back, moves forward and lags back. After the sixth time, it moves forward, then Ooh. lags back. 
then it will jump speed toward you. You jump over it after the sixth time. I never paid attention to it's that. It's the sixth it's time. Good idea. So there's that. And uh, one other thing about the air enemies. I know it's not with the uh, with the triorb craft. And I don't recall seeing it with the elliptical craft, although it's possible. But the uh, the the regular craft, sometimes if you don't shoot those down after a certain amount of time, they will come crashing down toward your uh, moon buggy and trying to destroy it. I have seen that happen. I have had that happen, actually. Of course. And also, um, eventually you'll come across, uh, assuming you're doing well enough, uh, that is, you'll come across uh, some space plants that are kind of like, uh, kind of sort of in the craters. And, uh, and okay, now here's the thing. I think we have to have a um, edition of video game physics. Can we open up video game physics, please? Uh-oh. It's time for another edition of video game physics. Jimmy G, got, got some more uh, Socratism for you. Uh-oh. Um, what is the setting of Moon Patrol, the geographic setting? Theoretically, the future moon, because in the background scrolling after a while is a uh, moon city. Okay, so like maybe that can, in a stretchy kind of way, explain how there's vegetation on the moon. Maybe, but wouldn't that but one thing it does? Wouldn't that um, be video game botany? It's still physical science in a way. Yeah, true, true, true. So, well, which again, I don't, I don't know if that's really considered physics. Like, I, I had no idea what the hell I was doing in my physics class. I had no clue. All I know is that it was a gift from God that my instructor firmly believed in grading on a curve because I ended up with a 55 average, which turned out to be a C. So there we go. Uh, so maybe it is, I don't know. Hmm. But, um, the other thing about video game physics, did you notice the sounds that, that, that happened? Like say, if you crash into a crater, if you get hit or if you fire a cannon or something, did you notice those sounds? I did actually. And, um, there, there's no sound on the moon. Now, why is that? Because the moon doesn't have an atmosphere or anything. It's in a vacuum. It literally sucks. I do have to say that when you shoot a rock, it does kind of make a poof sound. Which, if there was going to, if there was going to, if you were going to hear anything on the very little to no atmosphere that is on the moon, it would sound probably closer to that, I would think. If there were, well then again, okay, if it were, if this are, if this are, if this is indeed set futurely enough so that there can be a little lunar city up there. Maybe they devised a way to have some kind of atmosphere. The uh, surface of the moon might. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. And um, what was I talking? Oh, yeah. So unless they have a way, we don't know. They didn't tell. I don't think it's explained. I don't think the backstory is explained anywhere. But unless. you could be under some kind of a covering that pumps atmospheric conditions onto the moon. Ergo, giving you the possibility of having sound. You know, it just occurs to me, of course. going on the on the whole, why is there sound and, you know, atmosphere and vegetation or whatever. I am wondering if maybe when you see the, uh, every now and then you'll see, well, you know what? I'm going to hold off on this thought. Uh, let's talk about the game oh, a little okay. more, because we haven't talked about everything as okay. far as the enemies yet. And sure. I'm going to hold off. Yeah, but you know what, it, speak, it, it, speaking of sound, though, I we, we normally don't get very techy with this, um, but I thought it was just remarkable because I was looking at the details of the arcade board and I, I just never, I don't know if this is the norm because I don't really pay much attention to this, but it looks like there's a combination of five chips responsible for the sound. Punch, John, and who else? 
I believe it's like Benny, Bjorn, and Anna. Okay. I think. But there's a sound CPU that I guess handles that basically just regulates everything. It's a uh, M6803. And then there are two different sound, there, there are two different AY8910 sound chips, and then another one, and then an, two more MSM5205s. What do they do? I have no idea, but they are sound chips. It takes four sound chips managed by a sound CPU to do the game in here. And I imagine part of it is one of the chips is solely responsible for the music. I imagine. I might be wrong. Might be a couple of chips. And of course, we haven't really talked about it yet, but uh, I like the music in this game. I, oh, I love the music too. It's that was very my first catchy. attraction to it's the game. It's very, very yeah. catchy. And yeah, it's a, it's a basic baseline and standard uh, one, four, five, seven progression, like a 12 bar blues kind of thing. Now, the Wikipedia entry for Moon Patrol says that, and I quote, it appears to pay homage to the baseline of James Brown's soulful Christmas. Eh, not quite. I think it's a very common riff, though. It's it's not something, like, you listen to a lot of jazz or soul, you're going to hear that same and in fact, I think I might have mentioned this on the Paperboy episode, but the Sega Master System version of Paperboy. Actually, no, I don't think I did mention that. I mentioned it to you like when we were prepping for it. Uh, but I thought you did mention it on the Paperboy episode. Maybe I did. I don't know. I don't know. Well, but the Sega Master System version of Paperboy, the music sounds a lot like the Moon Patrol music. I kind of. I'm and almost I wondering did, I, if that's one of the uh, one of if Paperboy is one of the uh, Master System games that makes use of. Uh, there's there's an alternate sound chip for the Sega Master System, and some games oh. are uh, programmed with uh, with the with both chips in mind. Most of them are just programmed with the what is it? The FM chip, I believe that the American version was released with. But there's a real simple mod you can get for the Sega Master System to update it to where you can play huh. uh, sound. Uh, both with the uh, the FM chip and uh, whatever chip have came with. I don't remember the details on it, but it, tr- trust me, trust me, there were two different sound chips. For um, okay, I will trust you. Maybe this one time. Maybe this one time. You know, it's uh, almost uh, it's almost a uh, an Atari seventy eight hundred pokey situation in a way. Now that I think about it, in a way, um, yeah. The difference is is that uh, some versions of Sega had them both, and then some didn't. I, I, I've been oh, looking okay. into that, and I would love to get that mod on my master system because well, I'm going to save my opinions uh, on that for the next game we talk about. So, oh, okay. Well, I, actually, I don't really have much more to say about the game itself. I mean, that's all you do. You scroll from left to right. It's a forced scroller, and uh, you shoot things and you avoid things, and there you have it. Um, I'm not going to talk about the scoring because this, the way the sc- you, the way you rack up points in this game, it's just so convoluted that to go every that to go over every combination and permutation kind of require a separate episode for that. And I'm not going to bore somebody even worse with right. just all that stuff. But um, let's you know what I want to talk about home versions now. Well, let's do that. Yeah, uh, the, and I'm going to be truthful about this. I only knew about one of them until we researched this game. And that was the Atari 2600 version, which I knew from back when it was first out. And, uh, and w- the first time I went to Midwest gaming classic in 2006, I bought a sealed copy of moon patrol from the Atari age table. Mm-hmm. 
for like 10 bucks, I think. Interesting. And, oh, and, and I don't, this is going off topic a tiny bit, but, uh, there are a lot of people, this, this goes for like just about anything collectible or like all agog about, oh, it's still sealed. Still sealed is not a good thing necessary. Well, it's not a good thing, period, because what is sealed? It is shrink wrap. Why is it called shrink wrap? Because it shrinks. Those things are going to need to breathe. And, um, I, and basically this moon patrol box that I got is a classic example of why still sealed is not really the best thing for your item. Chop open the seal, let it breathe. Same with record albums too. Anyway, I just wanted to say that because like I, the bottom is crushed from the uh, shrunk shrink wrap. It shrinks um, all the time. But, uh, the 2600 version. This is interesting because uh, the 2600 version, just to show you how important the music is, they even put it in the 2600 version in the background. You can actually flip it off and on with the. Hey, you were complaining yeah. about me flipping. Yeah, I know. Flipping off. I know. But but after you give it the middle finger, you can. uh switch the difficulty switch one way or the other to disable or enable the music on that. Uh, Atari 5200 and the Atari 8-bit computers have Moon Patrol. I didn't really do a lot of research into this, but I'm guessing that it's essentially the same game. They are essentially the same game. I have played both of them when I owned a 5200 way back when. uh, I did have Moon Patrol. Uh, The buggy doesn't look anything like the, uh, the one in the arcade. Well... The twenty six hundred yeah, one, 52. the twenty six hundred one. First of all, looks like it's actually on a tread, you know, like it looks a regular more like tank. a sports car to me in that a, one. A sports car with a, with tank treads, and the fifty two hundred and Atari eight bit yeah. versions don't look this don't look correct either. Um, it's really when you get to the Atari ST version that it looks uh, looks pretty good. Uh, uh, I will say this: the Atari fifty two hundred joystick uh, actually works rather well with this game. Uh, just given the you nature know, of it. I can actually imagine that. One thing you didn't mention is the uh, the joystick doesn't say left or right on it. It says fast or slow. Pushing to the left, oh, that's it true, says yeah. slow. Pushing to the right, it says fast. It, it goes uh, it right to the right is fast. And what happens is it does move left or right on the screen, How and it, the speed of the screen doesn't change. But it's not like an instant, you hit the joystick and you move, you know, kind of thing. It... it gains a little bit of momentum until it goes all the way to the right and gains loses momentum as it goes to the left and um to to give it the feel that you're going faster or slower and um once you realize that um once you work with that the game uh, it, it 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 helps uh helps improve the gameplay um on moon oh, patrol it it's uh, not as obvious with the the 2600 uh, because you really pretty much do move left or right on that one. But again, there is a momentum issue, although it's not as pronounced in the as it is in the arcade. What I found weird, though, is that the, to me at least, the 2600 version is actually harder than the arcade version, even though it seems to me the arcade version has more enemies and more features. I'd have to play the, the 2600 version again. It has been a while since I've played it. Um, I do think the 2600 version does allow you to start on either the beginner or the um, uh, champion course. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I was looking at the the switches for the arcade, for Moon Patrol in the arcade, and there is, uh, Moon Patrol has built in some cheats uh, in the dip switch menu where you can select starting on the champion course or starting at a specific checkpoint um, or what have you. So, I mean, there's a, there are some cheat options built into the machine. Just have to be, you know, have access to the coin door to activate any of them. So. 
Well, in a rare display of non-indolence on my part, I actually took out my copy of Moon Patrol, and I'm flipping through the manual here, and... Um, You're not flipping it off. No, I'm flipping flipping through okay. it. Um, okay. It's yeah. It doesn't appear that it has a champion course or a beginner course that lets you start with it. Basically, hmm. uh, there's okay. a skill level. There's easy, medium, and hard. And one of the difficulty switches com- controls the uh, the speed of the buggy. Okay. And um, what's interesting here is that I this is the first time I ever took the manual out of this thing. It's like it's a multilingual manual. I've never seen one of these in the from a silver box before. Huh. Interesting. It's got like uh it's got French, German, Italian and Spanish and English. So, so that that's interesting. We were talking but, about home um, versions. Other home yeah. versions. Yeah. Uh the Apple II had it, uh Commodore VIC-20 and C6 the Commodore VIC-20 and 64 each had it. The uh MSX had it, the TI-994A had it as did the IBM PC and Tandy color computer, and the Sword M5, which was a computer, I believe, made by Irem. Oh, really? I never heard of so, it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they were, it was in cartridge form. And I do believe the, that particular computer. they found, a, the uh, years back, the prototype of Moon Patrol for the uh, ColecoVision. Oh, really? I did not know about that one. I'm pretty sure they did. There's also a handheld LCD game. Uh, from a Japanese company called Gakken, I believe, G-A-K-K-E-N, came out around 1982 sometime. That sounds familiar, that company. I don't remember that. The, the company sounds familiar, not necessarily that the particular LCD thing you're talking about. Um, let's see here. Now, there is a homebrew of Coleco, or Moon Patrol for the ColecoVision. Uh, it is a collector vision game. Yeah. But uh, wait a minute. Oh, dude, speaking of which, there's also a, uh, oh, there, there, are, there are a ton of clones of Moon Patrol for various computers and consoles. And there's one for the Atari 2600 made by SpectreVision called um, uh, Gas Hog. And I've never I played s- that. I got to check that out and check that I've, out. I could have sworn I've played, uh, played that, but um, didn't see the um, connection. But maybe I haven't uh, played it enough. So I don't know. I, I haven't played it at all. Uh, Atari Age has it at Rarity 8, and according to Atari Age, the PAL version is much more common than the NTSC version. But uh, let's see what else. There was, oh, there was also a version made for cell phones by Bandai, and they called it Moon Patrol X. Um, it had the standard Moon Patrol that we all know and love from the arcade, and there was also a graphic-enhanced version of it, which basically has, like, Super modern, up-to-date graphics, as if it were just designed recently. Uh, that came out in 2006, predating the iPhone, for example, so I don't think there was ever an iOS version. I don't know if there was an Android version, um, but... Um, okay, just uh, just looking uh, a little bit of an update. It does look like it. the uh, prototype for Moon Patrol was found for the ColecoVision, and it was hacked into a game called Map Patrol. Oh, so, so yeah. But um, so so yeah. That's uh, that's the Moon Patrol. Hey, uh, Jimmy G, where do you remember where you first saw slash played uh, Moon Patrol? Well, I I don't remember where I played it first. Um, it was either Putt Putt Golf and Games, Essington Road, Jolie, Illinois, 
or the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. It was one of those two places I saw it first. However, I can say without a doubt that I played it more at Putt-Putt. And uh. um, lots of fun with this game. I absolutely love this game. So I know I've played it many times. Um, I'm guessing that I probably played it at the Aladdin's Castle at Lincoln Mall, but I'm not really sure. I want to say that I saw this at the convenient store in Bourbon A, which is a former chain. Well, it's the, oh man, it's not I there actually anymore. saw it's not there anymore. No, no, but I actually did see a convenience store in Chicago when I went to Pixel Blast. Well, isn't that convenient? Um, yeah, when I came back on my way back, um, the expressways were not very express at all. So I just like exited and just used the the grid layout of Chicago to zigzag my way home, and I passed a convenient store. It's like, oh my god, they still exist. <laughs> but I'm thinking that's probably where I really saw it the most. Um, and, and, and okay, and I remember when we were first planning this podcast, I remember the suggestion was, okay, let's talk about. Uh, talk about the games, talk about where we first played them. And it's like, okay. And then what will we do for the rest of the, uh, mm -hmm. 89 minutes and 98 or 60, uh, 58 seconds, because I could easily say, Oh, moon patrol. Yeah. I played that at convenient <laughs> next. <laughs> we just blather on and on. So yeah, we got to blather on and on, which is why we padded out with things like high scores, Yay. such as the one reached by Tom Votava in Jan on January 1st, 2010, he scored a million four hundred fourteen thousand six hundred and sixty, and uh, my headphones go off to Tom Votava because man, this is not a high scoring no, it game isn't. Not at all. all. Scoring a hundred points in one action is a pretty significant achievement. <laughs> um, Orcade.com shows uh, actually tracks it in two different modes: a marathon mode and a tournament mode. Uh, the marathon mode, Ben Falls, whom we've mentioned many times, he scored a million seventy six thousand two hundred and seventy on June twentieth, two thousand nine, at Richie Knuckles. And um, the tournament settings, uh, uh, tournament settings, according to Orcade.com, only allow you one bonus life. The marathon, you're you, you get more bonus lives. But Bill Holmes scored six hundred and fifteen thousand nine hundred and seventy at first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon. Which brings me this question. If it was the first ever Richie Knuckles Arcade Marathon, then why wasn't it tracked in marathon mode? Because reasons? I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. I, I, I don't know. It's it, The world may and never And before know. anybody else brings up the... I just have to intercept with something, because I know someone's going to say, well, it's for the same reason you drive on the parkway and you park in the driveway. Uh, no, you don't drive on the parkway. If you drove on the parkway, you'd probably get some kind of a ticket for, if, or maybe even arrested because the parkway refers to the greenery in between the highway lanes. It doesn't refer to the actual hmm. cement. All those streets are named And yes, parkway. you drive on a... Yeah, and uh, you're supposed to drive on the street, not the parkway. So it's, it's sometimes and yes, a case of semantics. And you do you, drive well, on a yeah, driveway. Do, How else you does do your drive. car get to the driveway? Yeah, you do drive on a driveway because yeah. you know you have to drive on the driveway to get to this place to park your car. Yeah, unless you levitate your car somehow or can lift it and place it there. Or, Doctor you know. Strange. So, but um, so what do you think of the game? I really enjoy it. I, I enjoy it. Um, I and it's crazy. I mean, I'm starting to think we should expand our continue system, but then we'd have to re-rate all the other 107 games. Yeah which I really don't want to do. But because the thing is like it, 
it's too good for a three, but not good enough for a four hmm. for it, the way I see it. Uh-huh. But then again, I keep thinking this really is a fun game. I keep going back to it and thinking, you know, it's a fun game. Oh, there's that music. Oh, that's, that's really cool. So, you know, you know what? Yeah. I have to give it a four. I have to give it a four. Yeah. Four continues from the, Sean. the thing with the thing with moon patrol is the graphics are not spectacular. I mean, they get the job done. I mean, they're, 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 they're serviceable. They work. They're not boring. They're not bad, but they're, you know, not spectacular either. Uh, the music is really good and I really enjoy the sound effects and something I've noticed with this game, and I was going to bring it up earlier, but I think I'll bring, think I'll bring it up now, is um, the collision detection in this game is interesting uh, in a couple of ways. If you mistime a jump over a crater, only like a little tiny bit of your, your buggy is over the edge of a crater when you land, you will slide back into the crater and you'll blow up. Which it seems in that case, the collision detection is on the side of the machine. However, I've noticed also that when it comes to the bullets or the, the bombs or whatever that come flying down toward the toward your moon buggy, that the collision detection is actually very fair to the player in that case. Because if a, a bomb lands just a pixel or two away in front of your, uh, in front of your moon buggy, it will explode harmlessly and not do any damage to your... Uh, to your moon buggy it's like there's like almost like there's a collision zone around the top for of the of the moon buggy for the uh, the bombs that are coming down from the sky but the collision zone is different uh, f- obviously for the um for when jumping over the craters it's a lot more you have to be a lot more precise for the jumping you don't have to be quite as precise when dodging the uh, dodging the bombs that are coming down. Well, yeah, I can explain that. Yes, please do. It's because you're dealing with lunar gravity. It's you know, one sixth the Earth mm-hmm. gravity, so there's it has to make those adjustments. Oh, well, so there you go. That explains it all. Uh, yeah. That's actually video game physics right there. Oh, that's real physics. Yeah, that's true. So I always thought that was interesting because I, I was originally thinking about this when I was playing it, and I'm like, yeah, it's like that bomb should have killed me in other games that would have, but then I jump and I'm like, ah, uh, well, you know. So I mean that's I mean you get used to that and it's it's easy to time I've I've figured out with uh, with uh, especially the um, did you mention the landmines because there are some I mentioned them briefly okay. they're like rectangular blinky they, things they blink white and red uh, and uh, those um, I found the trick to those is sometimes you got you got to be really fast on the jump button you know to get between some of them and I found the trick to that is jump slightly earlier than you think you're going to need to. And uh, you'll land safely, and yeah, you'll have yeah. enough time to jump over the next set. Th- those screens are kind of easy once you get the timing down, because I don't think they really change that much. No, yeah, Moon Patrol is very, it, you can do a press your luck kind of thing with it and memorize everything, uh, which is good now if you if you have a, uh, f- if you have one of those pay one price arcades, uh, so you just keep playing over and over, but However, of course, then you got way you back gotta, when you got to worry about the, the 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 spaceships coming from the top because that's the way they that stuff the way those uh, yeah. act oh, yeah. or whatever is random. So you got to you got to think uh, about what's coming towards you across the screen, and then in, yeah. in, uh, what's going up above you there. Yeah, the ground is pretty much the same every time. Later on in the game, and especially in the in the beginner course or whatever, it gets to the point where you're jumping and shooting rocks, and you got to deal with all the crap going on above you. I find in that case, 
don't even don't even worry about the stuff that's going on above you. Just try to get through the obstacles that are coming toward you, because it's really easy to shoot down bombs that the aliens are are uh, aiming toward you. Even the Atari Twenty Six Hundred version, which a lot of uh, games on the Twenty Six Hundred. Uh, you can't shoot enemy bullets. Even the Moon Patrol on that one, you can. So, uh, I mean, you couldn't do that in the Space Invaders on the 2600, even though you could do it in the arcade. So, uh, you could do that in the 2600 Space can Invaders, you? absolutely. I think you could. Yep. Huh. Huh. Go figure. But, um, but yeah, I, th- I find a strategy that works for me, especially later in the game, is just concentrate on the stuff on the ground. Uh, don't worry about the stuff above you. I mean, because cause you're going to be blasting those rocks on the ground anyway, so you're going to be shooting up above you anyway, so you'll take care of most of that stuff anyway. That's how I play it, and that's probably why my scores are so low. But, um, but yeah, I mean, this is a game that I think is a lot more, is, um, well, I was going to say a lot more fun than it looks, but it it does look really pretty fun. (laughs) Um, um, I just, I just like this game. I mean, there's just something about it. I I keep coming back to this one. This is one I keep, I come back to every single time I go into the arcade. Did you play it at Underground Retrocade last time you were there? I did not because I was uh, actually spending time uh, with uh, a, a good time with my friends, and I was requested to play Gyrus by one of them. So, yeah, I you know what? I have to rate it a five. This is uh, this is this is one of my wow. go-to games. This is going to be if uh, what was the uh, uh, when uh, when No Quarter was uh, doing uh, doing was in production a little bit more regularly. Uh, they had a thing about uh, Desert Island games. You know, if you could have 10 of them with you, which would it be? This is definitely one of them. This is definitely one of them. It's pretty useless, desert. though, unless you have a power source. Solar. Solar. Yeah. Ah, but do you have a solar panel to harness it? I'll make one out of coconuts. I've studied Gilligan's well, Island. Let me guess. You can't build a raft to get off the island, right? What's a raft? And even if he could build a raft, chances are they'd be dead within a week anyway. So... All right, well, that's all I have to say about Moon Patrol. Well, that's more than what I have to say. So, yeah, well, there you go. Fun game. So we're done. We're done with Moon Patrol. We're done with Moon Patrol. Yeah, no more Moon Patrol. No more Moon Patrol. So what do you say we move on to our next game? I say we move on to our next game, but hey, you have to make the decision. You'll have to decide. The correct answer is yes. Yes, we will move on to the next game. And the next game is, ah, yay, Rampart. Did we do that with Yay! Ah, Rampart. Did we do that with Moon Patrol? Uh, very slightly okay. and subtly. We, we were we were subtle about it. Subtle, subtle. So, uh, yes, Moon or er, Ramp <sighs> Rampart. Yes, Rampart is an Atari game. It was released in two different versions. It was uh, a dedicated three-player trackball machine in February of 1991. And as a two-player joystick conversion kit, uh, JAMA conversion kit, I might add, in April of 91. Uh, Have we ever talked about JAMA cabs nah, before? No, I don't think we've really brought it up, because it's not anything I think anybody really is interested in. We're talking about these games from a player's perspective, so to speak, oh. or in theory. So, the object of Rampart. There's, there's two objects. First of all, there's a multiplayer game in which... Uh, how to explain this? Okay, I'll do the one-player mode. To begin with, the object of Rampart is to survive wave after wave of enemy ship attacks. And the game is kind of like a combination of Missile Command and Tetris, uh, if you can think about that. When you start a one-player game, the first thing it'll do is ask you if you want to start in the beginner rounds or the uh, the veteran 
or I'm sorry, it's uh, called Recruit and Veteran. Uh, Recruit is beginner, veteran is advanced. So the first thing you do is you select one of several castles to be your, your home castle, if it were, as it were. As it were, if it were, as it were. So what happens is you select it, the computer, the machine builds a wall around it, and then you get to place uh, several cannons into it. Uh, I believe in the recruit level, you get to place three or four, and in the advanced, I believe it's two. I thought I wrote that down, but apparently I did not. Then what happens is after you've placed your cannons, it goes to the first phase, which is the combat phase. And the object is to using the joystick or the trackball to position your cursors over the ocean to destroy the ships that are incoming. Now, in addition to the trackball or joystick, uh, you do have two buttons. One is fire and one is rotate. We'll talk about the rotate one later, uh, its main function. But I believe also in the joystick version of the game, the rotate also acts as a speed button for the, uh, for the cursor. Since you're not on a trackball, trackball you can as fast as you can roll the ball it determines the speed of the cursor on the screen whereas you don't have that luxury with the joystick so you do have a button there that you can use this for speed and then of course obviously you keep firing your cannons with the shot button now if you have only three you, you basically get one shot on screen at a time per cannon that you have you earn more cannons later on by capturing uh, other castles and building walls around them and um I believe that's the only way you can earn extra cannons. During that round, the enemy ships will be shooting cannonballs at your castle, the walls of your castle. And then when the combat sequence is over, then it comes to the build sequence. This is where it's like Tetris. The game gives you Tetris-like pieces that you have to use to fill in the holes in the wall. And to proceed to the next round, you have to surround at least one castle. It doesn't need to be your home castle. Depending on the level, there are four or five other castles on the screen at that time, um, in addition to your home castle. Now, the only problem is that if you don't surround a castle or an area that has cannons in it already, you cannot use those cannons unless they are surrounded by a wall. So if you surround another candle, another another uh, castle... Oh, not a can opener? Not a can opener. So get to the next battle sequence, you have to, at the minimum, rebuild the walls around a castle. It doesn't matter if it's your main castle or a secondary castle that you rebuild your walls around. As long as you rebuild around a castle and the area you rebuild around has room for a cannon. If you rebuild over a ca- uh, rebuild the wall around a castle that is not your main one, Say like you you're unable you, you're unable for whatever reason you don't have enough time to rebuild the wall around your main castle you you can build a wall around a secondary castle you have to make sure that you have room for more cannons. However, you do have two problems: if you rebuild around a castle that's not your main castle, you you do not get as many cannons to place. Let's put it that way: as if you were to build the wall around your main castle uh, castle. Also. If there are any cannons around your main castle and you do not have the wall built around it, you cannot use those castles. You'll have to try to figure out a way to rebuild that wall better in the next round. Now, after you repair the walls, then you just put more cannons inside your castle wall. This is the third uh, phase per round. And um, the screen is made up like a checkerboard. And one cannon takes up four squares on the checkerboard. 
If you do not have enough room for all of your cannons, if you position your cursor over another cannon and hit the place button, which I believe is also the shoot button, you hit that while the cursor's over another one and it will just automatically end the time and you can move on. And play continues until for a set number of rounds per island. I believe the, the recruit mode is two rounds and I think it varies for the levels thereafter. Later on in the game, at first it's like Tetris-like pieces, but then they start throwing you, the further you get into the game, more and more bizarre pieces, which makes that wall-building round more difficult. However, there are three different kinds of ships that will attack you in the battle round. This will also affect the wall-building portion of the game. First of all, there are single-sailed ships, which just take two shots to sink. However, they're, all of these ships will be firing cannons at you. So, ships with a single sail will take two shots to sink. Ships that have two sails will take three hits to sink. And if any of them get to land, they will release grunts onto the land. And these look like little uh, wooden cannons, I guess. And they will multiply around the screen during the repair phase of the, of the, of the game. And uh, if they get around a castle, they will destroy the castle. So, whereas a screen when you start might have five castles... If you let one of those land, the grunts will surround it, and they can destroy a castle. So, watch out for that. Those are my most... Wait, watch out for what? Snakes? Watch out for snakes. Watch out for grunts. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, yeah. Um, now, you can destroy them during the battle mode by shooting them, or if you build a wall around them, uh, that will kill them also. So, that's good. These really are the bane of my existence, and um, these are the red ships. Now, they take five hits to sink. However, their shots are orange, and they will leave glowing orange craters on the land that you cannot build on at all for three rounds. So during the repair phase, you will have to build around those spots on the ground. And that will be a pain in the ass. So, uh, yeah, I would say that... uh, Concentrate on the red ships first in the battle phase, then the double-sailed ships, and you might just even want to ignore the single-sailed ships, except for the first couple of rounds. Game's over when you cannot successfully build the wall around your castle during the build phase, the build phase, repair phase, whatever you want to call it. So, there's that. Now, as far as the multiplayer game goes, I've honestly never played this multiplayer until tonight. And when I was playing, yeah, I was playing myself tonight. And there are no ships, apparently, in the multiplayer. Every player gets a castle and the wall around it, and you place your cannons, and you basically try to survive. I I believe the default is seven rounds, and whoever has the most points at the end of a multiplayer wins the game. And next time we get to an arcade that has Rampart, I want to play this against you because I want to have more experience with it because it seems to be my limited experience playing the multiplayer seems to be very, very fun. So... I want to try. Yeah, that. I need to get. I need to have experience on the actual machine too, because I, I I just had a hard time following it in Mame. Um, I know Galloping Ghost has it, so next time the both of us are there, let's give it a shot. And um, so that's the game. Um, I'm not going to get into the scoring because, again, like you were saying with Moon Patrol, there's there's just I don't understand the scoring for this game. You get bonus points for the amount of territory you capture. Uh, you get regular points for destroying all of the ships. Uh, you get a castle bonus for every castle that you've successfully walled around. And uh, not really going to get more into that because uh, it's, it's I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get it. But anyway, 
So uh, there have been multiple ports of this game. Uh, the most classic console uh, that it was released for is... Pr- well, I won't say most classic, but here's, here's what it was released for. It was released for the Atari Lynx, uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, Sega Master System, the Genesis, the Super Nintendo, Atari ST, Commodore Amiga, PC. And of course, it's on multiple compilations on PC and modern consoles. I will say that I've played a few of these uh, in emulation and uh, and on the Atari Lynx. So far, the best version of the game is the Atari Lynx version, hands hands down. And I would say that that is probably the killer app for the Atari Lynx. My personal opinion. Oh, really? It's the one game on the Lynx that I kept going back to over and over and over and over and over. Other than Shanghai, and Shanghai isn't really a killer app, uh, <laughs> but uh, I kept going back to that one all the time. Now. I have played the Sega Master System version and the Genesis version I played tonight. First of all, the Sega Master System version, the music... You know what? I'm going to say it right now. Sega Master System version and Genesis version, the music sucks when compared to the arcade. And I actually, I'd probably give the edge on the music to the Master System over the Genesis. Uh, if, you're, if you're comparing it to arcade authenticity... I don't like these versions because they take liberties with the game. Um, For example, the Sega Master System version. I don't know if it was the version I was playing or I had a bad ROM or whatever, but there are only three castles in each battlefield area. And the arcade has anywhere from five to six that I've seen. The Genesis had four. Again, five to six from what I've seen in the arcade. Um, I do not recommend those versions of the game. I don't have any, don't have any experience with the others. So, anyway, but uh, I believe that is the game. So yeah, each uh, each level there's a, it's a specific time limit. You have to destroy as many ships as you need to, as you want. A time limit to place your your cannons. A time limit to repair your walls. As I said, game over. You can't repair your walls. You can't do it in time. So, and that's it. That's uh, that's Rampart in a nutshell. Man, I really uh, screwed up uh, talking about how to play this game. It's It's got its own little weird instruction set, I guess. But if you just think the, the battle phase, you're playing Missile Command, and in the rebuild screen, you're playing Tetris, I think you'll pretty much get the gist of the game. That's, that's exactly what this game is. It's a mashup of Missile Command and Tetris. And quite- Which is probably my problem, because I was kind of playing it like a tower defense game, and I wasn't getting it very far at all. And it's funny you mention that, because one article I was reading about <laughs> this game, <laughs> one article I was reading about this game actually uh, credits this to being the precursor to the tower defense type game. But no, think of it as Missile Command combined with Tetris, and uh, you'll do a lot better. Mm. And... With that, uh, the uh, I first played this game in the Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall. It was a dedicated trackball machine. I found this interesting. In multiplayer mode, uh, the loser gets their head chopped off in a guillotine. Oh, really? Well, it's a static image, and there's no animation. But uh, you, see the, ah. you see the castles in the background, and the, the winners all have the color of the of the winning team, and the losers are all the, you know, that color as well, and... We're, we're getting into Exidy Chiller territory there with the guillotine if they were to show it. But, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. Um, apparently, there were 790 dedicated units and 1,515 conversion kits produced in the United States. So there are more conversion kits than the dedicated units. And to be perfectly honest, 
I have seen more of the dedicated than the conversion if you figure that the conversion really? kits are the joystick version. So uh, I thought that interesting. And of course, uh, 254 dedicated units and 278 conversion kits were produced in Ireland for European distribution. And the original selling price at the time was 2295 bucks. And the, con- wow. the conversion kit selling price was 945 Well, yeah, that's probably why the conversion kit sold more. And I will say this. Um, there is one hint I can give people playing this game. Uh, not only can you destroy the, the grunts and the ships, you can also destroy the walls of your own castle. Oh, yeah. So that's a good strategy, uh, especially in the later rounds of the game when they give you more and more bizarre pieces and when the orange ships start creating craters on your landscape. Shoot down as much of your wall as you can to make it uh, easier for you to place the bizarre-looking parts. And uh, that's a very good strategy, so thought I'd throw that in. So with that, uh, do we have any scores for Rampart. Um, if we must, I suppose we could uh, talk about that. Um, let me see. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, Twin Galaxies, um, which tracks single player with a note that you can start at any level. Rusty Nunnally, verified February 7th, 2009, scored 4,000. 704. Okay. 4,704. I've got to question that because that sounds like a really low score for this game. I thought this game scored higher than that. Well, just keep on listening there, Frosty. Uh Uh-oh. Because according to Orcade.com, they have the high score listed as 16,348 by Ian Choice performed at Galloping Ghost on March 19th, 2016. Huh. I thought it was a much higher scoring game than that. Apparently not. Apparently not. You'd never know by my scores, but. <laughs> well, I can't, I don't remember what mine were. I didn't really track oh, them. Oh man. I'm looking, I'm looking at the rankings on orcade.com. I know almost every one of these people. Oh no. <laughs> Cause they're all set at like galloping ghost. <laughs> James White. No, he's not on here. Let's see. got Sean Quigley. Know him. Fred DeHart. He actually was a server at level 257 for a short time. Uh, Jamie Tibbetts, who actually was at the retro, I saw at the retrocade, uh, when we were there last, oh, I, must I, I saw him, him for like three seconds. Uh, Mozzie's Hagopian, who I believe is the current, uh, 10 X champion over there. Is that what they call it at, at the ghost? Yeah. Uh, like the thing so. where you have the championship belt and you have to, yeah, and basically I think someone it. challenges. Yeah. I think he's the current holder of that, but I could be wrong, but yeah, I'm seeing a lot of names I recognize here. Interesting. So where was the first place you saw this game? Um, it would be um a website where I found MAME ROMs. Oh. And of course you do legally ne- own a Rampart arcade machine. Well you, well, yes I do, or else I would never have downloaded one. Of course. But um after prepping for this episode, I deleted the ROM and um gave away the arcade machine. Well, of course. I'm sure Lisa had something to do with that. Yeah. And it was kind of influenced by Phil because I know what I, I know Phil actually does like when he reviews things, like he'll he'll buy something to review it and then sell it, so that way he's not you know, spending a ton of money and putting himself in debt and all that. He actually got himself a business license to do that, too, really. So just so it'd be all nice and neat and nice and legal. Oh, nice. Yeah, he talked about that in I think the first episode of his uh, seventy eight hundred podcast. Oh, interesting. So that's how he gets to review all that stuff. Did I say where I first saw this game? 
That's like identity. The Aladdin's Castle with Louis, Louis Juliet Mall. Yeah. The LJM. Not to be confused with LJN. So. And um, is that Rampart. all we have to say about Rampart? I guess. Um, kind of thought we'd have more to say about it. Um, the uh, How would you this, rate the game? Well, as far as this game goes, uh, I remember when we talked about Puzznik. Was it, was it Puzznik? You said that it felt more like a home game than anything. And yeah. this game. Yeah, Puzznik and Tinkle Pit, too. And Tinkle Pit. And I, I can sort of see that with this one. Uh, I, I, I fell in love with this more on the Atari Lynx than the arcade. But I still like this at the arcade, but it's not one of my go-to games. But uh, I, I, I still really like it a lot. I, I love the audio. Uh, I love the visuals. It's got, I mean, simple visuals, but uh, they're, they're effective. And it's interesting the way that they teamed up Missile Command and Tetris in this. Uh, obviously, it's not a seamless transition, but uh, it's still good nonetheless. Um, I give this game a four. Hmm. I, I, I really like it, but even though it's not one of my go-to games. I really like it, and I, maybe my rating's based more on my love and nostalgia for the Atari Lynx version. Uh, this is a perfect handheld game <laughs> on, uh, on oh, that I console. Can but, uh, so, yeah, I give it a... Oh, I'll have to try it on my... I, I did not play it on my uh, GPDXD. I'll have to try that. There you go. See what it's like as a as a arcade handheld, as it were. But um, as for me, yeah, I you beat me to the punch. That was going to be my first comment on Rampart is that it felt like a home game. It didn't feel like an arcade game. Mm-hmm. And that might've been what threw me off at first because I'm thinking, wait a minute, why would they put this out in the arcade? And that immediately might've affected my playing, which is why I really sucked at it. And game ended after the first wave of attacks. Every time I played the damn thing mm-hmm. at the same time though, I can't really say that I disliked it. I can't because there's just something really charming about it. And um, the fact that it is a tower defense game, there are a couple of uh, tower defense games that I've played that I really, really, really loved. I love the uh, the genre of it. It's different. Mm-hmm. So I kind of I kind of liked that feel. I kind of liked the feel of it. Uh, I'm going to have to give it a three, though, and I can't really imagine that I'd give it higher than a three simply for the fact that it doesn't really feel like it should be in the arcade. Yeah, I'll give you that. But then again, we've not played this multiplayer and that may change. I have that, not. That might eventually change our, our um, this might be a game that's better with more people than it is with just one person. Kind of like uh, like uh, Warlords, let's say. Um, oh, yeah. So you never know. I mean, I still want to try this multiplayer. Like I said, I've only basically tasted that a little bit tonight. I've never done this multiplayer because nobody likes playing games with me. So next time we get to the ghost, we have definitely got to play this multiplayer. It looks oh, yeah, the multiplayer yeah. the multiplayer action on this looks really fun. So that might change your opinion on it a little. It might. I don't know. It might. So it might actually bump my score up a bit too. So I'm gonna I'm just keep in mind a four with the possibility of bumping it up one. Wow. So it might be a five. Possibly. I don't know. We'll have to see. And I think that's uh, all we really got to say about sure rampart all about moon patrol and i suppose i should reveal the theme of tonight's episode what do you think uh i'll do it please reveal yes these are games that have uh part numbers for versions for the atari 7800 but were never released uh i don't know if Ever we talk a lot about the atari 7800 on this podcast <laughs> Gee, i wonder why that is um now i don't know if the prototype for moon patrol a prototype for moon patrol for the 7800 was ever found but it was definitely on a parts list 
Rampart, a prototype was found for the Atari 7800, which is weird because this game is 9091, which would way end of the Atari 7800 lifespan. But I think. But you know what, though? Hmm. You can get a copy of the prototype in cartridge form. You can, but. Yes. The prototype that's out there is way woefully early in its uh, development. There's a rumor that there's a more current prototype floating around. And there's a rumor that somebody might actually have it in their hands, but it's definitely not been dumped yet. Uh, let's just put it this way, that the uh, best you can do on the 7800 prototype is it displays one of the play fields and little boxes float around the screen that have the letters N-M-E on them. Get it? N-M-E? N-M-E? Yeah. New Musical Express? Well, the thing is, like, you can actually buy this on a cartridge at gooddealgames.com. And here's the description. Um, in the arcades, you destroy a fleet of attacking ships whilst... This is an American company. They're in Michigan, I think, or Minnesota, and they have to say whilst... I say it whilst every repairing now and then. any any breaching they cause in your fort. Prepare for battle and build and repair and place your cannons. Please note that this game was in the prototype stage, and while playable, it is not a complete game of Rampart. Playable. If you want to see what might have been on a real Atari 7800 console, this is not to be missed. Well, here's the thing. I know that uh, Michael at Good Deal Games is good friends with one Robert DiCrescenzo. Mm-hmm. And I also know that there were a few prototypes that Bob has touched up some to the point of of uh, completion. So this he might have like added some stuff to make it playable, for all we know. Because the prototype that's floating out an Atari age is nowhere near complete and is far from playable. It's very possible they may have a different version. Yeah, there's 130... I have 132k ROM for Rampart that I have, I've never played. I'll have to see if that's playable. I've played it. I've looked at it on an emulator, and it's it's definitely not playable. I mean, there's no title screen to speak of. Uh, you can, like, select the level. Then it goes to, like, a red screen, and then uh, then the screen with the letters NME floating around. I'll have to double-check. I'll have to look into that. I won't say double-check, because I'd have to purchase this one. And I really would not want to purchase this if it's the same prototype that's floating around Atari Age. I mean, I guess it would be kind of cool to have Rampart, a Rampart cartridge in your collection even, but if it was more playable, I could see, I could justify spending the money. Again, I mean, hey, if, see you, what the, if you have some kind of multi-cart, you could uh, copy the ROM to. Maybe you could do it that way. I mean, that's true, but as I said, it's very possible they may have a different, a different ROM that's yeah. not been released. So... I have to double check that. If anyone from Good Deal Games is listening, uh, fill us in on that. I'm just kind of curious on that. If not, I'll have to uh, I'll have to email you. So, yeah. So that's the uh, the theme uh, games that were slated to be released for the Atari 7800 that were given part numbers for the Atari 7800, but were never released. And if someone's sitting on the Moon Patrol prototype, release it because I want to play that. Yeah. I bet the 7800 yeah. version of that would kick ass. Oh, especially if he uses a pokey, which I doubt it would. You know what? And I bet the game was done because this was supposed to be an early release title. Uh, Rampart, no. But Moon Patrol, yes. So, all right. Well, I guess with that, let's, uh, shall we, uh, dis- shall we let our listeners, f- or, well, actually, uh, we have people to thank first, though, don't we? Oh, yeah, yeah. We have people to thank, and um, let me see. Oh, I, 
Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the order that I have on the list, except that I'm going to start three down and then wrap around. So thank you to Greg Polender, Rory Coleman, Richard Valdez, Keith Sheehan, Jonas Rulo, Nate Lockhart, Kyle Etter, Michael D'Angelo, Underground Retrocade, and Art Guglielmo. And um, all of your donations for which we've collected uh, for the month of September have been donated to NAMI Greater Houston, the National Alliance on Mental Health, on, illness. Uh, mental illness. Yep. Is that what it's called? Because mm-hmm. basically we know that there's going to be, well, in fact, they've actually posted on their website that they've had a great need for their services after Harvey. So uh, we're both very, um, we're very passionate about mental health and mental health awareness. And with the aftermath of Harvey, we figured that probably be a good thing to do. Um, We might actually be making another donation to people on the East coast. If things don't go so well. Here's the thing is everybody thinks about, you know, uh, the need for food, shelter, you know, clothing or whatever, whenever disaster like this helps or happens. But uh, there's a lot of like stress that comes along with this. There's a lot of uh, PTSD that comes with like, oh, yeah. these, these kind of events and people like not knowing what's going to happen next and just getting real scared. I remember when uh, the the September 11th attacks happened way back when uh, I came home from work. I was, I was devastated because, I mean, I no idea what the future holds. I mean, you know, I was thinking yep. that if it could happen there, it could happen where I'm sitting right this moment. And... Um, yeah, I was living in New Jersey at the time, right by the beach, and I could see a brown streak in the sky coming from the north. And I just remember at some point during that day, I was like, what the hell is happening to this country? I mean, it was the only time in my life I was ever scared for my life. Mm-hmm. And it, Well, I've had other times at that too, but um, but the mental trauma uh, from these major events like this uh, needs treatment just as much as the physical needs do, and... Uh, that's why I kind of I, I I don't don't know anything about NAMI on the Houston level, but on the national level, uh, I do know that they have a, a ton of resources online, a uh, ton of resources locally. They even have here in my little town of Morris, the Will County Grundy County chapter of uh, of NAMI has uh, has uh, support groups here at the Morris uh, Community Hospital. Um, they have those all throughout the country, and they have um, uh, they have a one eight hundred line that you can call if you need uh, need help uh, someone to talk to uh, referral for services that sort of thing so I feel this you had the idea of donating to Harvey I had the idea of maybe we should reach out to one of the mental health uh, organizations out there because they could use some assistance yeah. as well and given the kind of needs people think about first you know that they're not going to get as many uh, donations as some of the other uh, charities will but um so yeah, I mean, I thought it was probably a good good idea that other people probably not really thinking about. So, so yeah. Um, and also thanks to the Underground Retrocade for their awesome hospitality. Oh, um, without a doubt. Yeah, and uh, yeah, for putting up with us with uh, Jim's little uh, birthdayness and everything. And uh, also thank you to Steve Tui at Tuiville dot com. And uh, I guess with all of that, uh, well, we did haven't told what games we're going to be talking about next episode. So um, it's going to be a Sega twofer, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about Outrun and Space Harrier. And I think that's going to be an interesting episode because I think those machines are based on the same hardware. 
Hmm. Uh, but oh, uh, we'll have to find yeah, out. But that's not the theme. That's not the theme. So yeah, Outrun oh, no. and Space Harrier. In uh, Outrun and Space yes, Harrier. And I'm wondering if there's going to be a lot to talk about with Space Harrier. But uh, I guess we'll find out, won't we? Yeah, let's let's find let's out. Find out. So with that, as Sean is wont to say from time to time, doodles. And as Jimmy G is want want W O N T to say from time to time. Screw you in the ass with a chainsaw. Pumping the monster. <laughs> Pumping the monster. Bye-bye. Fugu. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on PieFactoryPodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. See, I'm trying to come up with a, with a you know how like, um, I forgot who it was, but uh, a one of the national news broadcasters used to go out to sign off by saying peace. And I think Katie Couric was your courage. And I'm trying to come up with a one with a, with a single word. So, and ev- so every episode I've been trying one, I haven't found one that, that worked yet. So I don't know. And, you know, I was really hoping that when Katie Couric got her national news job, that her little sign off would be bye, like two syllables, bye. B-Y-E hyphen E-E-E-E-E. Bye. Oh, no way in hell. No, 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 no. What? I just got I just got a notification from Twitter. Follow Coleco Holdings LLC. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so, Tim. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Coleco Holdings. Yeah, yeah well, sorry. Colloquial Holdings. The uh Chemtrails. surface <clears throat> of the moon might <clears throat> Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Here, you might you might want to have a drink. Oh. Here, have some dihydrogen monoxide. Mm. How about some watermelon shandy? Which I'm almost mm. done with. Did you know that chemtrails are composed mostly of dihydrogen monoxide? Which is a chemical. It, it's a chemical. It's like, holy crap. Do they know what they're yeah. putting in the sky? Oh, man. It's, it's there, oh, I'm, I'm not never going to sleep again. In the aftermath of Hurricane Henry down there in Texas. Henry? Wait, what was the hem? What was Harvey? Oh, good grief. I just remember the Steve Harvey memes. I don't like Steve Harvey. Nobody does. Oh, that's true. In the aftermath of all of Hurricane Harvey down there in Texas, that there was so much dihydrogen monoxide leaking everywhere. It's insane. I mean, what are we doing to this planet? Well, that's why we sent our Patreon donations to Harvey Relief. Indeed. So, and, oh, um, and he's not lying, yeah. folks, by the way, that he is actually telling the truth about.